welcome to the Birth Activists podcast, hosted by me, Becky Scott, and fellow doula and activist, Samantha Gadsden. Welcome to the Birth Activist podcast, and a lovely Samantha, how are you doing today? I'm fine, thank you. How are you, Becky? I'm good, thank you. We have got two guests with us today. Uh, we're being greedy. It's uh, Louise. Hi, Louise. Hi. And Rosalie. Hello, Rosalie. Hi. Uh, thank you both for joining us on the podcast. Um, today, what we're going to be chatting about is birth after caesareans. And uh, Louise and Rosalie have both had um, births after caesareans and very positive experiences. So, um, Louise, first we're going to have a little chat to you. Obviously, I know yeah. you because you I did. was your doula and you I was at your birth of lovely Millie, who we can see. Obviously, the listeners can't see you, but I we can see Millie. Yeah. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, you'd had two previous caesareans and yeah. you had a home birth literally weeks ago. Yes, three weeks ago. Yeah, so lovely Millie. At time of recording, it might she might be a bit older. She probably will yeah. be, um, but yeah, three weeks old. Um, so um, Rosalie, if that's okay with you, we'll just chat to, to Louise for a bit. But uh, just briefly, um, your story was you had a free birth after one cesarean. Yeah, that's right. And how old is your little one? Oh, he's three months now. Oh, well, so still quite young then. So both of you again put birthing during the pandemic as well. Yeah. You're both both amazing. I, I love I love a nice home birth after cesarean and a pre-birth after cesarean is like amazing. Amazing. Beautiful. Are either of you in any of my groups? I don't know if you're in my home birth group or no, I don't know. you must be well, the only people that are <laughs> <laughs> my home birth group out there. Come, <laughs> Come and tell your stories in group. It's like yeah, we'll we'll link you up with the group afterwards. <laughs> It's always great to have positive birth stories because, you know, it's probably both if you know, you know, the healthcare professional is very much not in favour of birthing after, um, mm. vaginally after a cesarean. You know, many trusts, many doctors don't encourage it. No. Um, there are some out there, obviously, that do. Um, but Louise, what, would you like to just tell us a little bit about your story as to why you wanted to have um, a vaginal birth after your cesarean, first of all? Yeah, yeah so I, I've always wanted a home birth since my first child. He's now six. Um, so I was under the home birth team for him and a completely sort of non-medical one-off reason it didn't work. He was completely stuck and tangled in his cord. So they, after three and a half days, they opted for a cesarean which was the right thing to do because had things progressed one or both of us probably wouldn't have been here so that was the right decision at the time I then fell pregnant with my second tried for a b-back with her and just because of I'm going to say lack of information and resource on my part um my headspace although in my head I really wanted to do it and it was going to happen it's going to be great um was told I had to be in hospital, um, had to have growth scans, had to have everything else. And the series of events that led up to that birth terrified me in subconsciously. And I kind of got to eight centimetres and gave up. So, you know, for whatever reason, I thought it was the right decision at the time. Looking back, I think I could have made different decisions, different choices. So when we found out we were having a little prize, with little Millie <laughs> um I, that, that wasn't gonna put myself in that position again 
where I was going to be dictated to and I knew that I could do it I'd got to eight centimeters I'd you know gone into spontaneous labor with both of my previous ones I knew I could do it and I didn't want to be put in a position where I was going to doubt myself so I opted for a home birth where I had very supportive midwives around me who are experts in vaginal deliveries that's kind of all they see um consultants on the other hand are you know, not saying there's anything wrong with them, they've got a job to do, but they're experts in intervention births and non-normal births and dealing with women after those non-normal births. So home birth was the best choice for me, really, because I had experts around me. I had you around me, Becky, which was awesome. Um, and it just it gave, you, gave me the freedom to trust myself it gave me the freedom to trust my body to do what it needed to do and it did it it did it very quickly <laughs> and I know when we first met you very much felt um fearful um and you know basically that that you couldn't do it and I think that if you know yeah. it is when what the healthcare professionals tend to tend to do uh consultants yeah. generally more than midwives I think but they make they yeah. do make you feel and I felt with you that you yeah you doubted your ability to do it mm. uh, because I'd been I'd been told before that I couldn't do it. I had a horrific consultant appointment, which obviously Becky you know about, um, where they told me that um, I was going to get transferred in. I was going to end up, you know, if not delivering on labour ward, at least with another cesarean, um, because I'm a prime candidate for it apparently. And it's just. <sighs> You know, when you're told something like that and you're dealing with medical professionals, you trust their opinion. And mm. there is an element of it where you do start doubting your ability because it had happened twice previously for both very different reasons. But it had happened twice previously. And when you've got somebody sat there who does deal with it, who tells you you're not going to be able to do it um, or that you're risking your baby's life doing it you're being really selfish doing it which is another thing you hear not just from medical professionals but from a hell of a lot of people around you mm. um you know you're being stupid you're being you know or that it's a brave decision it's not a brave decision to trust your body it's not a brave decision it's really not it's it's a sensible decision your body's made to do it and i think it's braver to trust a consultant when they tell you you can't do it it's like, oh, yeah, great. but also, you know, a, a third um, cesarean, a third major surgery is also carries a lot of risks with it. It as carries well. more risk than trying it vaginally. Like when you read the, the Ames book, which anybody that wants to go for a VBAC needs to read because it's actual evidence. That's one thing I found with the consultants, the information that they gave me. Whilst you, you take it as gospel because they are the experts, none of it was actually evidence-based all of the information they gave me that I'm twice as likely to rupture because I've had a second cesarean and it was within two years of my previous ones therefore I'm doubly likely again to rupture um, just because of the time between the two and when you actually read it there's no research behind any of those figures that they give you and it's, it's, it's sickening really it's just Sorry, made yeah. up and it's, and it's and... sickening even if it was true, even if it was true, and yeah. even if it was research-based, what does doubling mean? Because this is the use of those scary statistics. Yeah. Is it 0.001 to 0.002? That is exactly. a doubling. 
you know, I still wasn't any at any higher risk than a first time mum who opts to birth at home. You know, I'm as at risk as a, a, a spontaneous rupture as somebody so who's never got, had a vape. You've got two issues there. You've got the unevidence-based bullshit mm. coming out of yeah. the consultant's mouth. But also, yeah. if it was evidence-based, it's the use of scary statistics without actually telling it you is. what those statistics It's it a two-pronged attack. That's all they do. They kind of... They terrify you into making these decisions, which make them feel comfortable. That's what this is about. It's making them feel comfortable about your choices. Like, I don't give a toss about your how comfortable you are, if I'm honest. I'm, it's my birth. I'm never going to do it again. It's my, it's my last shot at doing it. I don't care how comfortable you feel about me birthing at home. I feel comfortable with that decision. So that's what I'm doing. And Rosalie, what, what happens with you? Sorry, just unmute myself. So you... <laughs> I'm laughing because we've got two guests here who've got babies with them and they're both swaying and I just want to keep swaying. In along with each other. Swaying. There's, there's three of us. Kind of Rosalie, what, was, what were your sort of um, reasons for deciding to have a VBAC and also for opting obviously for a free birth at that? Well, I'd had a cesarean with my first child, a planned cesarean because he was lying breech and they couldn't turn him round. And then my second birth, I just thought, right, well, I'll try and have a vaginal birth, but probably in the birthing centre. Um, and then I got a doula thinking that I would get her more for the postnatal support because I sort of struggled with that a bit with my first child. And then it was only when I got the doula through, through a friend who'd recommended her, who'd also had a, and, and then she sort of made me sort of realise that home birth was a possibility and not just that it was a possibility, but that it was seemed like, like Louise was saying, not a brave thing to do just like the most normal thing to do really and like why would I go into hospital because there was not really any need and we live 10 minutes away from the hospital <laughs> so that was very reassuring you know it felt like if we did need to go and then we would but in my head I sort of thought oh well you know there's probably about 50% chance that we'll need to go in of course there, there wasn't I just I, I didn't quite understand that you can just do it at home you know unless there's something that happens in the way um and uh yeah I'm, I'm obviously really pleased that I made the decision I didn't intend to free birth I had the midwives on call for me that in the moment I decided I didn't need them uh, my doula's really experienced and um I just felt like there wasn't anything that the midwives could offer that she couldn't offer really so mm. who you're welcome to mention your doula if you want oh, to. oh that was Daisy Daisy Dinwoody in Edinburgh yeah she was so yeah, in Scotland yeah, yeah I know Daisy over 100 births so Fabulous. Fantastic. So uh, just going back to you, Louise, do you just want to give us a, a little run through of your birth story? And those people that um, are interested in, in reading it, then it's on my website and I'll put a link to that. It's a lovely birth story. But if you could just tell us uh, in your words how it went for you. So it was a completely different birth to my previous two. My previous two, I went into labour hard and fast, really strong contractions, but neither of those were in optimal position. So my body was just working overtime to get them where they needed to be. And this one started, and as Becky can testify, I just crapped myself for like a week because I kept having false labour. Um, or well, there is a, a medical term for it, but yeah, I would contract all night, nothing happened, all die off in the morning, and there's me crying about it, getting really upset. My body doesn't know what it's doing, it's failing me, man. Just having a little wobble, really, which is again why a doula and a V and a V back is 
amazing or in any situation having a doula is amazing um because she was at the end of the phone no Louise look it's fine it's normal third births are unprecedented they're normal your body's doing what it needs to do every contraction you have is doing something whether you feel it or not it's doing something so don't worry and then so Monday night was my last night of that so I then spent all of Tuesday feeling a little bit rubbish really I was like I'm tired nothing's happening I've had three nights what's going to happen and I, I remember texting Becky saying I feel like I just want to ring the hospital looking for a an elective because it's not going to happen and then later on the afternoon started having sort of strong contractions but they were 10 15 minutes apart yeah, and were, after i gave you a pep talk to stop talking rubbish about yeah, going to the hospital. Like, yeah stop talking about your ass louise <laughs> stop, you know, pull yourself together i was like fine i shall woman up you know basically <laughs> um you've got it you, you know you're more than capable your body's you know it does know what it's doing all of this is happening for a reason it's you know you're fine I was like okay fine contraction started again and then half seven text Becky was like yeah they're six seven minutes apart getting a bit stronger I'll ring you later an hour later my waters went whilst I was putting my 18 month old to bed which was always fun so texting the husband from downstairs help bring towels and then I got up rang the midwife just to let her know that they'd happened and she was like let her pop over and check your waters for you uh, yeah check them for what yeah <laughs> <Dump>. yeah <laughs> they're no longer there <laughs> yeah it's like they've gone are you sure is your waters I'm pretty sure I haven't peed myself I'm pretty sure um but yes yeah, so she she was on her way I then rang Becky and whilst I was on the phone to Becky, being nice and calm, had two contractions in the space of four minutes. And Becky, who was just going to prepare herself and be by the door, went, I'm just going to come over now because I'm going to miss it. <laughs> yeah, so, it was when, when you passed the phone to Mark and I was like, OK, she's had two quite close together. I'm just going to get in the car now. <laughs> I can't talk through them anymore. So I'll be over in a bit. So Becky headed over. And then, yeah, within an hour, I was downstairs throwing a hissy fit. I can't do it. I want to go to hospital. <laughs> Something's gone wrong. And then very reassuringly in my ear, very quietly, remember transition. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. And just in my head, I was like, I'm not, I'm not there. I've never got here before. I, I don't know what's going on. And I just threw a wobbly basically. I was like, I don't know if my baby's in the right position. I don't know what's going on. I don't know if I'm dilated or not because I haven't been checked. Um, and yeah, again, Becky, just voice of reason and sanity, went, have a look, have a feel, check, check yourself. I was like, what? And she was like, just have a look, see what you can feel. I was like, don't be ridiculous, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> did it. And I was like, oh my God, my baby's head's at the top of my vagina. Oh my God. And then went from being terrified to elated. I was like, oh my God, this is happening. I then felt the urgent need to shit myself. Which then the midwife who was with me went, just going to make a phone call. So she then left to call the backup. I then, <clears throat> then over the next sort of couple of hours in the pool, because at this point it wasn't filled up. So there's Becky with kettles and pans <laughs> trying to fill the pool. Yes. <laughs> Backwards and forwards. And um, filling up the pool as I'm in it. And they were like, please don't give birth. And if you do, keep your bum under the water because there's not enough in there. Um, yeah, just proceeded to kind of get through the contractions just with gas and air and Becky's saying you know what you're doing have another check see what's going on and sort of I checked myself every so often throughout and feel the baby's head coming further and further down 
then had a, a very nice construction, which, and you hear about the ring of fire, you do hear about it. I was like, oh, that one, that was a bit burny. She went, yeah, have a little feel. And there was my baby's head. It was there, it was crowning. And then what, I think three pushes later, I think the, she yeah, came down to three. Mm. And then um, the next one, she came out like Superman and that was it. I picked up my baby. Nobody touched my baby. Nobody checked me. Nobody interfered with me. And I just got to sit there in the pool and hold my baby. And it was, it was the best thing I've ever done. I keep telling people now, I'm like, I really enjoyed it. And they're like, are you nuts? I'm like, no, I genuinely like, I really enjoyed my birth. I would birth another baby again tomorrow if I could. I mean, you know, the newborn thing. But you know, having a baby at the end of it is the downside of that. But <laughs> um, I would, I would, I would go through birth again tomorrow if I could. It was Aww. the best experience of my I'm, life. I must say, Louise, it was just such a privilege. I know you've obviously, you know, shouted my praises there, which I'm, you know, very thankful for. But you know, you did it. It wasn't me. You did the hard work, <laughs> and you absolutely fucking rocked that birth. Seriously, <laughs> I will be talking about that birth for a long time to come. <laughs> Because it was just amazing. You was, you know, and a, a couple of things to point out there was that, you know, our society has made it so normal for a complete stranger to put two fingers up our vagina to tell us where our baby is, you know. But it's completely not talked about that we can actually do that ourselves and touch yeah. ourselves and find out where our babies are. I felt amazing having. I didn't need anybody to tell me what my body was doing. I did, I did, I knew that myself. I could check myself. And I think the more women that know that that's an option, you know, they, the, if someone says, oh, we need to check how dilated you are, like, do you know what, actually, no, I'm just going to check myself to see if I can feel anything better. And there doesn't need to be any checks at all. So you can't just say, no. no, you can do it for yourself. Or you can say, I didn't, that's the thing. I didn't need anyone to tell me how dilated I was. My body just did it. But at um, that moment, it was helpful for you because you were starting to doubt yeah. things. Yeah. You know, so just being able to do that for you really was a yeah. bit of a game changer for your birth, for your labour. That's the thing. Had you not been there, Becky, I would have at that point been checked by a midwife because I would have, because my adrenaline was up because of transition and everything else, I would have laid down on the sofa, got myself into a position that I didn't like, I was uncomfortable, and I would have let a midwife check me like to tell me what I already kind of knew so which is one of the downsides for VE people say it's just a VE but as well as the invasiveness and that to me yeah. it's the entering of a sacred space it's the putting you flat on your back in the middle of an active birth when you are managing that can take you out of that position where you're managing and into a position where you aren't and it can be quite hard to get back should we get Rosalie's birth story absolutely Rosalie would you like to tell us your birth story Hi, yeah, so um, on my due date, I felt ready. I wanted my baby to arrive. I'd sort of got everything prepared. So I bounced up and down on my birth ball, had sex, baby came. Um, so the waters broke and started getting strong sort of period pains. And I sort of thought, right, I'll go to bed because that's what my doula had recommended. Just try and sleep. But there was no sleeping because they were getting really strong. And then a couple of hours later, I called her and then they started just getting really strong. Um, as soon as she arrived so she was there and my partner and we had the birthing pool set up my partner had done that while she was on her way and we'd lit candles and we put music on so apart from the pain it was it was a lovely environment um, and uh, yeah and I just kept on just kept on having these contractions and, and I was making these loud sort of low noises and um, <laughs> and there was a point where I said like 
days I can't I can't do this and she just said you know you can you're doing just take each one at a time and I kept saying how many more how far away am I because <laughs> um, I you know I was in a lot of pain and my um, buttocks and my legs were in cramp as well so it was it was painful but um, you know it wasn't that long in the end because so um, my waters broke at 10 and this my contraction started at 10 at, at p.m. And the baby came at 6 45 in the morning so it was just overnight my yeah. little boy was asleep in the next room and slept right through it and then came through in the morning to find um uh, all sleepy and said why is daisy here and then we said we've well, got a new little brother and Aww. he climbed and breakfast in bed so that was lovely <laughs> but there was a couple of things i i yeah i so we i've been on an active birth workshop with the Pregnancy and Parenting Centre in Edinburgh. And that was amazing. I just learned so much that I didn't learn. Um, I did a hypnobirthing course for my first child and I didn't learn half as much. Um, and they said to, that you can just refuse these vaginal examinations. And often it can be um, sort of demoralizing, demotivating if you kind of think, oh, well, I thought I was doing really well, but I'm only so far dilated so far. So I didn't have any and I didn't want any. And I, and I, like Louise, I put my fingers inside myself and I felt my baby's head. That was massively motivating and amazing. Um, and I felt it at various stages, felt it coming down, you know. That it's was one. <laughs> yeah. And I, I was quite, um, I was sick. I was being sick throughout um, the contractions. I think with the adrenaline and I was kind of shaking. So I couldn't really keep anything down. So I was getting quite hungry. Um, and so I had some spoonfuls of honey, which was great. That Daisy was feeding me and water. I wouldn't even say water. I'd just go. And they would, that was my sign for water. And they'd put water <laughs> with a straw. And then the, the thing that was amazing at the end was Daisy told me to walk to the toilet because I think just to get things moving, to change his position. And I was like, no, like I can't do that. But I knew to trust her and, and I did it and it, I think it really worked to get his head in the right position. And also then Tom said, my partner, how about a coffee? So I had a sugary coffee near the end and that just, cause I was quite knackered and that just gave me this energy. And I just, and yeah. after that straight away, really he came um, and I pushed his head out and I've got this amazing photograph of his head, just his head out <laughs> whilst we waited for the next ones. And Daisy said, you know, don't, don't, no rush, don't push, just let it come naturally so you don't tear. Um, and it did. And yeah, it was, it's amazing really that my body just did it with nothing. That's fantastic. Really. Yeah, at what, that sounds at incredible. Point, uh, at what point did you sort of make that conscious decision to not call the midwives? How did that happen? Well, I think it was when I was um, in quite active labour and Daisy said, do you want to call the midwives now? And I just went, no, no, there'll only be a pain. Because I just felt like there'd be people I didn't know with masks on. So I couldn't really have that human connection. And also, I just felt like, why would I need them? And I didn't really want anyone coming and disturbing me. So Daisy and Tom were very quietly and calmly um, keeping the temperature of the pool up but even then I was kind of thinking in my head I didn't say it but I was thinking oh stop it for god's sake stop faffing around I'm giving birth here you know so I couldn't imagine anyone new coming in and causing a, a bit of an upheaval in that moment and Tom, Tom occasionally would ask me a question like do you want x and I'd be like no it's fine it's fine whatever like stop asking me questions everything's fine let me just get on with it kind of thing that was kind of how I felt mm, completely in your own really pleased that I didn't call them and then afterwards as well I was allowed 
to have as much time as I wanted to deliver the placenta, which took two hours and it was totally fine. So I was really pleased about that. No pressure afterwards as well. Mm, because yeah. we often see that. I know uh, you'll be the same, Sam, is that, you know, people really, really fight for the type of birth that they want and are not necessarily prepared for that bit afterwards to do. And it's generally around the delivery of the placenta. It's the absolute panic from midwives yeah. when the placenta. And what I've started describing to my clients is... Um, Again, and I know it's not all midwives, but unfortunately it's a lot of the ones that I experience and I'm quite an experienced doula, is expecting a midwife to be hands-off at a birth. is like wanting them to write with their left hand when they're right-handed. They do it, but they struggle. And they do do it and they do accommodate it. And then as soon as that baby's out and they can get their hands on you with the placenta, in they are. Like, honestly, I can't describe the number of... I don't talk about difficulties of birth anymore because I don't have them but the number of issues around placental delivery that I see are significant and not changing. So not having that must have been incredible. And I know as an experienced free birth tend to do that, I regularly see placentas take two, three hours. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's, that's not unusual. And it's not unusual enough for me to think it's just physiological. And what I've written about is that I personally think that we have the same failure to wait around the placenta as we do around birth. Yeah. So whereas one hour has been considered to be a retained placenta, I actually just think it's normal, to be honest. Louise, Uh, how do you feel about that with with your um, the delivery of the placenta? How did you feel that went for you? I mean, mine came out, I think Amelia was born at one minute past 12. My placenta was out by 17 minutes past. And they, they said to me, because I put in my preferences um, that I didn't want to have the injection unless a certain time had elapsed or there was a medical reason for it. Um, so then, but they still offered it to me once Millie was born. And at that point I was like, do you know what, do what you want, I don't care. I've had my baby. I was in like a euphoric state. Um, but Jodie actually, with all, all credit where it's due, she didn't give it to me because yeah. she knew I didn't want it. Yeah. So she, she just waited and then they said, right, stand up, see if you can deliver it. And yeah, like a couple of coughs, a couple of pushes, and it was out within, you know, yeah. 17 minutes. And it was so yours taken was away out by quickly. And yeah. you just sat and waited, did you, Rosie? And you pulled out with your you? baby. I, I was in bed. So when my baby was born, he was put on my chest and I I was just so tired. Just like, oh, my God, like... I, I wasn't really bonding with my baby. I was just more concerned about myself. I was, and I passed him over to my partner after holding him. And he took him into bed. And then I kind of just rested and ate some food in the pool. And and then I got into bed and just, we were all in bed together. And it was lovely with my little boy as well. A couple of hours. Um, yes, it was a really special time. Really nice. And Daisy was there. And then her and Tom went to make a big, big breakfast for us in the kitchen and they sort of stayed around she sort of stayed around for a while and it was great really fine and in that moment I had this this whole new like appreciation of done to deliver me and which I'd never sort of realized before somehow so it was quite interesting that it sort of made me have that that thing that thought Mm. that sounds really and it sort of just goes in a line with you know it's that um keeping that oxytocin bubble going after birth because you know you need the oxytocin for the the placenta to be delivered Uh, and so if you're interfered with 
um, or you know your your um, adrenaline levels are increased in that period, then it's going to be harder for your body to expel your placenta. So, uh, I mean, Louise, you know, we we are really um, quite lucky here in Northamptonshire that we've got a really fantastic home birth team. And I've mo I've worked with most of the midwives on the home birth team, and they are very respectful of people's wishes. And that just goes to to prove it, you know, what you experienced, Louise, with the fact that, you know, the midwives were fully on board with your physiological third stage. I expect yeah. a consultant would have been like panicking because obviously you'd had two previ um, previous sections and oh, my mm. God, you're going to rupture and bleed everywhere. And, you know, <laughs> but, you know, they yeah. were very they were very respectful. I, you know, I think you, you felt that as well, didn't you? Yeah, massively, though, to be fair, I didn't know they were there. There was only that one point when they were trying to pick up baby's heartbeat. Um, and I think I didn't, I didn't swear luckily, but I kind mm. of told them to go away yeah. um, because they were interfering with me and yeah. they kept, couldn't get it. And they kept putting it on me, me vulva and stuff. And I was like, you're in the wrong place. And you just, you're, you're making me move and I don't want to move. Mm. And then they got, that's, that's the point. They probably got a little bit tetchy because they tried yeah. a couple of times and I hadn't been accommodating apparently um so, and then you know she's and then then you know she did say look I haven't managed to find it the last few times so I need to I need you to lean back a bit so we can find it that was the only point where I really knew that the midwives were there yeah and for yeah. anybody listening that the baby sometimes takes itself down behind the pubic bone just before it's born mm. so there are it often is. problems finding the baby's yeah. heartbeat towards the end of a birth and to be fair to midwives here if they're in a position where they can't find a heartbeat, they've got to say something about it. They can't just ignore it, but at the same time, it's perfectly normal. So it's abnormal. Yeah. So the constant monitoring is abnormalizing. It's my favorite phrase lately, abnormalizing yeah. the normal. Yeah. yeah. Taking something that is mostly normal, occasionally an issue, and turning it into what Louise said, which is that making you move making you change positions, which sometimes leads to tearing because yeah. it's, the, it's, and it's so subtle. But I don't think a lot of things that go on link. Oh, well, I just asked you to move your leg or I just asked you to move your bum. And actually, it's sometimes I was at a beautiful BBA and um, and it was actually, I've only been to one BBA because most of my clients who choose to free birth, free birth. Yeah. And um, even I said, oh, make sure you keep your bum under the water mm. uh, because I wasn't in my free birth headspace. When I'm in my free birth headspace, I don't say anything. And then she automatically assumed this really low, like a frog. She, she completely dropped down into the pool. And it was a lesson for me because I thought to myself, we didn't need to say that. She knew exactly, mm. exactly what to do. And even you both. Would, but if I'd been in BBA head mode, then I wouldn't have, if that makes sense. Because yes. I've gone in with a different mindset a bit but you you sound like you had amazing amazing did you have all the young did you have any resistance to your home birth plans Rosalie because I know Louise said she did did you my my midwives were great they said we totally support you with having the home birth but you'll probably get a call from the obstetrician who will advise against it which I did and um, so the midwives were great but the obstetrician said on the phone that she would advise the VBAC but only in a hospital yeah. Um, did anybody I, tell you that you didn't have to take that phone call or was it just expected that you were going to agree to take it I didn't to be honest I didn't even realize that I could deny it but I would just I it was quite a short phone call because I, I just said you know yeah that's my choice but there were a couple of times where I did have to be quite assertive so my midwife um suggested on my due date that I had a growth scan in hospital and I just said no 
And I'm so pleased that I did say no because I ended up delivering that night. It would yeah. have just been a necessary upheaval. And then also um, a few days after the birth, um, I was asked to go to the hospital to do the newborn baby check. And I, again, I said no, because I just thought, well, I can see that he's fine and I don't want that upheaval when we're in this lovely bubble. Mm. Um, I felt like my recovery was amazing and I just totally stayed in that oxytocin bubble that you were talking about for days and days. It was amazing. And it was snowing, thick snow at the time. So it was like this really yeah. surreal, beautiful time. Um, and I, and I actually also, also um, slept after my birth. I didn't call the midwife straight after to check me because I just thought, well, I don't, I don't need them to. I know that I'm fine, that I haven't torn. So I had a good sleep and called them in the evening to come and check me and the baby. Mm. and the newborn check can be done at home and the yep. newborn check can be done by the GP yeah so it's that kind of again it's come in you chose mm. not to have it but there are more options than you were mm. yeah Louise, uh, Louise had her a midwife come to, to house didn't you Louise for the, the newborn check because yeah. I was actually there at the time delivering your placenta capsules wasn't yeah. I? <laughs> funny how it happens but yeah as like I say I think our home birth team is pretty good locally here I know it's not the case everywhere in the we country. don't have we don't have home birth teams here yeah so and I think that 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 shows our midwives are lovely but you, you tend to get whatever midwife happens to turn up and I've been at births with midwives who've never been to a home birth before ever mm. yeah and sometimes with two midwives or I was at a birth where the one midwife had never been to a home birth and the other midwife had been to one and of mm. course they're going to be you know they're both in a completely new to them situation and if you send a delivery ward midwife to a home birth then it's a, it's a different ballgame to yeah. that yeah yeah. yeah. So Louise, how did you feel, um, you know, Amazing. looking at the postnatal period here, how did you feel in terms of like recovery and that initial postnatal uh, period um, in, in, as a comparison, obviously, to your two previous births? It's just completely different. And everybody that saw me said how different I was in it's Yes, when I had Ella, my second, I was, you know, I was over the moon. We'd had a little baby girl, but there was always this nagging I didn't do it I didn't do it and I'm never going to get to do that again so there was always that bit of disappointment I had quite severe you know baby blues and things I, just, I cried when I told everybody that we'd had her um you know in my in my head it was because I was you know over the moon that we had a little baby girl when you look back you think maybe it was it was tinged with disappointment because I then had to explain to people that I'd not been successful in my be back with my second but with with Millie it was just pure Elatement. I was everyone I told I was happy about it I didn't cry with the news it was you know not happy tears I was I was too I was too happy I was too <laughs> empowered I was too over the moon with how everything had gone that and that carried on for still now I still think about it you know and it's just it makes me smile it makes me happy there isn't a single thing that I regret or would have done differently no baby blues no nothing it's it's just been wicked like my dad bless him he came around he's like I've been telling everybody in the shops what you did and how, how good it was oh, <laughs> oh bless him what about you what about you and he's so proud and it's and it's really nice it's nice to be able to give people that because he was terrified 
You know, when I first told him what I was doing, I, I literally told a handful of people just because I didn't want people's opinions. And when I first told him, he's like, I think you're being stupid. That's ridiculous. Why on earth would you do that? I'm like, I've done my research. I know what I'm talking about. I don't want your negative opinions. And if you're going to be negative, I'm not going to talk to you about it. And he went, I'm sorry, back in my box. I'm sure you know what <laughs> you're doing. I trust Rosalie's you. Rosalie's nodding there. Have you had, did yeah. you have the same experience with your family? Yeah, so I'm really close with my... Oh, I'm really close with my mum, but um, I didn't tell her that I was going to have a home birth because I didn't want her to worry. So I only told her after the baby had been born that I'd had this home birth. And also then I told her about the doula as well. Um, and uh, yeah, I had an amazing recovery. Just incredible. I mean, I was walking around the same day. Um, yeah. Just amazing. And um, that with my C-section, it take, took me three weeks to, to really walk around and my wound sort of ruptured a bit. And then I had antibiotics. And for my mental health, that was really hard. Just not mm -hmm. being able to be independent for three weeks you know, because I really like to be independent. Mm -hmm. um, no, it was it, my recovery was just couldn't have been better. And also with my doula organized this amazing thing called a, a mother blessing, which was like a ceremony with my five of my close girlfriends um, during my late pregnancy. And they all sort of told me, it was just a lovely, lovely ceremony. They all told me how they were going to support me after the birth. And we, we did a WhatsApp group to share some of the nice photos. And I really felt that circle of support after the birth and I posted the baby pictures on there and then I knew that I could ask them for any help that I needed. Aww. And that all the difference. Yeah. That's yeah. really lovely. Such oh, beautiful birth stories. It's so yeah. lovely to speak to people because a lot of the people we speak to and the last person we spoke to had a lovely birth story, a lot of the people we speak to have got trauma stories. And you know, we listen to a lot of trauma stories and, we do want to listen to them, to one another, but it's so lovely to speak to you two. And you had such beautiful, amazing, empowered births. It's like incredible. It's lovely. I'd like to ask you both actually, Louise first. Louise, do you do you feel that having this birth, the type of birth that you've you'd envisaged, or you know, even better than you'd envisaged, do you feel that it's actually sort of maybe healed some previous? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it it's the, it will still never take away a sort of the element of disappointment but and my own feelings of you know failure for want of a better word but um massively it's it's made me it just it's given me so much more faith in my own ability at everything so yeah. in, you know I didn't doubt myself oh I did but when I'd be you know nuts before I had my baby um but you know during that during it when it was happening I didn't doubt my body's ability and that's there's a hell of a lot to be said for not doubting yourself yeah. when so many other people are and yeah. you just want to stick two fingers up to them I really wanted to like message the consultant with photos <laughs> and like an F you <laughs> screw you look what I did <laughs> yeah. yeah what about you Rosalie well, there's something else that I haven't mentioned that I should, which is that certainly where I live, I'm not sure about other parts of the country, but in Lothian, there's um, this home birth agreement with COVID at the moment that you're sort of uh. fine. And it says that you won't have more than one birth partner plus the midwives. So, of course, I wanted to have my partner, Tom, and my doula, Daisy. Um, and I, there was the risk that when the midwives arrived, that they wouldn't turn a blind eye and that they would say, well, Daisy has to leave. And I wasn't willing to take that risk because I just needed Daisy to be there more than I needed the midwives. And that's why that's one of the big reasons, I suppose, why I decided to free birth. 
Um, mm. So I think that that just needs to change. It's just ridiculous, really. Have you um, come across that, Sam, in your local time? Trend? It happens yeah. in the Homebirth group. It's, it's happened hundreds of times and everybody just ignores it and they've never sent a doula away yet or so a mother been... or a sister. Yeah. Or, but there is, as Rosalie said, there is that fear and there is that risk. My own personal clients would rather have me than a midwife. So that is a choice that has to be made by care providers because I personally feel, as we've talked about before, that women are being pushed into free birth and free birth is an active choice i run my own free birth course everybody knows it free birth is an active choice is an act of empowerment is absolutely the right thing for those women and people but no woman or birthing person should be forced forced into having a, birth, a free birth to have the partners that they need it's not acceptable well that's what was happening wasn't it early in covid especially that you know it was like well you either come into the hospital with one birth partner potentially pick up covid or you stay at home and the home birth service is cut there's no midwives coming to you so you or you so you do it on your own um you know and it's been very very harsh um you know and we've been quite lucky since the home birth service came back on and there's been no restrictions on birth partners here locally but i do know there are several areas that that have done that and in my experience at the births that i've supported over the pandemic i've never been turned away or questioned why i'm there you know, or anything. So it's been pretty good here, but I know we have heard of stories other, in other parts of the country where that has definitely been the case. Yeah, Daisy has been turned away from births and that's just prior to mine. So that's one of the reasons it's not why. On. Such an important thing, you know, it's, but it's across the whole of the healthcare, isn't it? You know, people not being allowed to visit, you know, mm. dying loved ones in hospital. And you hear of horror stories now of people having to do things like that on their own. It's, you know, we've got people that are losing babies and finding out on their own because you're not allowed to take your partner into a scam with you. And you yeah. think, you know, they're, they're the only points in your pregnancy where your partner has an option to bond with the child and to see the child on a scan pitch and see it moving about. Because it still is not the same as being there when it's kicking and wriggling about and, and everything else. And they, they miss out on so mm. much. And it's not fair on it's not fair on the mums to have to go through what they go through on their own and have to no. make them to to have your partner or a doula. And that's the thing, you know, if I had to make a choice, you know, you can have what if I had to birth in a birth centre or whatever else, and I had to make a choice. I mean, God love my husband. I you know I do love him. I'm you know in your head and you think to get the best outcome, would I then opt to have my doula there over my but, husband? Because that's not an option. That's not a trust. choice that should be made. That should not, you know, that's not a choice that happens. It should be made. It's not fair. But, but also, Louise, in some trust, they wouldn't let you make that choice because in some trust, they're only letting a member of your own household go into hospital yeah. with you. Yeah. So that choice would be taken away from you. And also, you two are living proof, right? You're here on our podcast. With you had baby. a long birth after cesarean, after two cesareans. You had a free birth after a cesarean both with doulas, and women achieve this without, without doulas. Women and birthing people achieve these kinds of births, but women achieve these kinds of births more often when they have doula support. And the evidence is, if you've got doula support, you're less likely to have intervention, you're less likely to need pain relief, you're less likely to get transferred, you're less likely to spend lots of time in the hospital, so you're less of a, am I using the word in quotes here, burden and cost to the NHS. Mm. So actually, it's a short-sighted policy that costs the money, as well as... The emotional impact on you of having to choose, uh, you mm -hmm. Rosalie had to choose between your doula and your midwife. 
Yeah. But also the fact that they are actually encouraging people that have had previous sections to try for a VBAC, but in in the hospital environment is is counterproductive because once you've put them in that environment, they are, you know, the 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 risk that they are going to be, you know, hit with a million interventions and end up with an emergency sec- section is incredibly high. So, you know, the an fact anti-birth that- environment, bright yeah. white lights, lots of strangers, lots of different people, that's what a hospital is and a ticket clock that tells you you're taking too long um, and you know. i'm just gonna add to that i support hospital births i've supported general anesthetic cesarean births i'm not saying you can't have a hospital a positive hospital birth but it's easier to have a positive home birth mm, yeah and the breastfeeding just really was so much easier after the, the oh, i was just gonna say that rose i was just gonna ask you know has it how has that compared to your first experience with breastfeeding just brilliant. And the La Leche League um, video that I watched was also brilliant because I had to remind myself a couple of little tricks to make him latch on. But the feedings just is the cornerstone to so much. Um, yeah. And I really struggled with the, in the first few days of my after my C-section, my baby wasn't feeding. He was mm-hmm. screaming and I couldn't sleep and it was just awful, really. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Were you separated from him in your cesarean just out of interest? No, no, no. No. Louise, how was your feeding journey uh, in this time round in comparison to the first one, first and second? Um, it was better in that I could, well, it's difficult because I was being stitched up because this one came out like a Superman with a hand in front of her face. So um, she caused a small tear um, just because she came out really quickly. And so I was being stitched up. So that was the only thing that probably annoyed me a little bit in that I was that was happening and I couldn't put myself in the right position to feed her, to get her on that first feed. Mm. And then, yeah, she's got a tongue tie, but we've not done anything with it because we're now feeding absolutely fine. So, um, but it's, it is better. You've got, you're more mobile. You're more aware. Your milk comes in quicker. There's, you know, the weight loss element of it. They don't factor in when they weigh your baby after a section that you've been on a drip and therefore, you know, some of that drip's gone into the baby. So it's got an inflated weight. So it would weed that out in the first three to five days. So when they weigh your baby on day five, it's likely that they've lost a hell of a lot more weight than if you hadn't have had that section. So for a comparison, my first lost 9.6, Ella lost 8.7, both C-sections, whereas Millie lost 1.4. So with a a tongue tie, (laughs) with a tongue tie. And, you know, I fed them in exactly the same way, you know, the whole, you know, eight to 12 feeds per 24 hours, all of those things are fed them in exactly the same way. And yet they make you feel like you're failing at breastfeeding after a section because your baby's dropped so much weight and I did nothing different. So it's not just that, that they just don't, they don't inform you. That, that no, they don't let you know exactly. they don't let you know there's going to be loads more cluster feeding because your baby's doing its job and telling your milk to come in because your hormones aren't necessarily doing that because you haven't had that sort of physiological birth that you know your body's kind of tricked into producing milk so your baby does that job for you and then that can be really hard you know yeah. you're in the hospital on your own you can't sit up you can't move properly and yet your baby's put two feet away from you in a crib you know the midwives don't come straight away to help you or when you call them you're kind of left on your own just with a baby that won't feed properly because she's not producing milk and you can't move and your boobs aren't producing the milk and it's it's just a horrible situation you're in and if it's the pandemic there's, you've got no visitors no support, partner, no, no, no doula that can come and help you 
yeah, you're exhausted after having major surgery. It's, you know, and don't get me wrong, I wanted to go home after mine, but they're kind of, you know, 24 hours, like, right, okay, you're, you're good to go. And, you know, walk out the hospital. And it's, you think, wow, you know, I don't know many people that have had major surgery and 24 hours later are being told to walk wow. out and try and raise a baby mm-hmm. without any information. It's how many how many men are sent home after they've had their inside sliced open and a large object removed from inside yeah. of their body within 24 hours with paracetamol they gave my husband, yeah my husband more pain relief when he had a hernia off and it was keyhole surgery than they give women after they've had a cesarean yeah my dad was the same with his hernia yeah it's a real bugbear of mine because since they since they decided to take codeine away from birthing women and people who've had a cesarean then now women are being just left with inadequate pain relief um over what was an incredibly sad case but also a one-off and a very rare incident so rather than educating people on on what you know the impact of codeine can be we'll just give women crap pain relief instead ibuprofen yeah I had I had really um like strong pain relief after my C-section for a week. I think it was, oh, yeah. it was ibuprofen, paracetamol plus I think it was tramadol in the hospital and then something else that didn't have a high street value to take home. But what it meant, which I didn't realise at the time, was that I was actually quite sort of out of it really yeah. for the week following the C-section. And it wasn't until I took I had some leftover medication. I took it at a later date for bad back. And it made me feel really out of it. And I thought, God, I was feeling like that for the whole week after the birth, but I didn't I didn't realise because I was it was also yeah. they put my eldest on tramadol and he phoned me up from university and I literally didn't recognise his voice. I actually sent my husband to go and get him that day because you could hear from you know that he was quite unwell. And I think, God, they've just given you that and you've just had a baby. Mm. Yeah. Oh. Did that have an impact on the feeding, Rosalie? Can you remember? I don't know. I'm not sure. Um, but after four days with my with my first one after the C-section, we did get there with the, with the feeding. I think I got a bit of a wrong advice as well about certain things to do. But um, this time, just um, watching the La Leche League video was was brilliant. And also, obviously, I had all those hormones because I'd had the natural birth. Yeah. And you had Daisy around, obviously, to, to support you as well. Yeah. But to be honest, she didn't really, I didn't really need to get any advice yeah. Yeah. for that. Yeah. Mm. So oh, actually, putting him on top of me, like sort of crawling up the way, that yeah. was one that I did. Oh, the do. breast crawl. You did mm. the breast crawl. Oh, that's a lovely... <laughs> so Rosalie um for anyone that's listening that might have had a cesarean or two cesareans and might be considering their options for their birth what would you say to them say so definitely get a doula you know you probably think that you can't afford it you know I'm not a high income person you know we get working tax credits but I thought this is important we're going to do it and and it was just worth every penny you know and the support that Daisy offered was just over and above it was amazing and completely different to what the midwives offered me. And in fact, I didn't find any of the support from the midwives useful. They were lovely people, but they were just box ticking. And if mm. I could like have just actually, I felt like it was a waste of my time. If I could have just not have their support, just if I needed it kind of thing, then I would do that next time. Yeah. You can, you don't have to have midwives at all. Mm. Yeah. Well, this is the thing, you know, we're told well, that we, we have to do this and there's a certain way to do it and there's this screening and there's those checks and blah, blah, blah. But actually any of the health service is, you know, it's not mandatory. It's there to be used when we need it or when we want it, not to, to have to do these things. It's all uh, 
I've had clients who've had nothing, and I mean nothing, not so much as a scan or a blood test. I've had a client who had one scan because she wanted a photo because she'd had a scan for the first and she felt she had to have. And I've had clients who've had everything, yeah? yeah. Right, and that's interesting. I didn't know that you can have the scans without the rest of the support. That's, yeah, that's better to go private, to be honest, if you want to do right. that. It's just easier because you're not being subjected every time you go in for a scan to... Yeah, there is dangerous. that element of it. Yeah. And also just to point out to the listeners as well, and it, it has come up on some of our previous podcasts, is that often people do think that, oh, I can't afford a doula because doulas are so expensive. And, and whereas, it, you know, for, for some people that can't afford it, you know, there are doulas out there that are quite happy to talk about, you know, reduced prices, payment plans, uh, and a lot of us work for free as well in certain cases. So Please tell me that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I've had, I've had claims from all socioeconomic backgrounds. Um, I have found that the lower income families are, are, it's hard to put it into words, but they want to pay. They want they're to the most, They're the most needy, need. aren't they? Yeah, well, they, want to, they just want to pay. They, they just, they appreciate that it's a, it's a job. And yeah. it's, you know, it's, I, would have, I would have paid Becky, you know, four or five times over had, you know, money <gasps> been an issue because it's it's invaluable advice and help and support when you most need it and not even just at the birth the birth empowered me to trust myself rather than a midwife but it's the lead up to it and the text where I'm doubting myself and having a wobble just having somebody there that's not your partner to kind of just to text and go oh I'm feeling a bit shitty about this and it's it's invaluable support I think anybody anybody doing a normal any birth should have a doula there I think in my opinion from now on but especially with a feedback just for just for the support the support I had from Becky after my consultant appointment where I was I was traumatized by the stuff that was said to me in that appointment and the stuff I was forced to do um you know and just having Becky there that I could speak to afterwards just to chat it through and say her basically say you don't need to have any ongoing consultant care you can tell them to do one I was like I didn't know that was an option so I did that's exactly what I did and you know it's things like that and having that mental support and the lead up to it yeah so if you if you could say anything to someone like like Rosalie did um what would you say to people considering uh, a VBAC or a HVAC do it 100% 100% do it, get the right support, do your research, read the Ames book, surround yourself with people that have done it, that are supportive of you, and don't be scared to tell people to, to do one if they're not supportive. You know, trust yourself, you know, your body knows what it's doing. If there's no medical reason why you didn't have what, you know, why it happened the first time, there's no reason you can't do it. Absolutely no reason. Just get the right support, do your research. So you can tell the consultants to do one when they do challenge you. Absolutely. So I think we're sort of coming towards the end of the podcast now. Sam, have you got anything to say before we go? I just wanted to say that as Rosalie and Louise have said, you can have an incredible home birth after a cesarean, a free birth after a cesarean. You can actually have a really positive VBAC vaginal birth after cesarean this is something somebody pulled me up on yesterday that as do well she didn't pull me up i realized as do as we started using acronyms a lot mm-hmm. to try and say things so vaginal birth after cesarean in a hospital if you can be strong it is easier at home and the first thing i tell anybody who's contacting me about a vaginal birth after a cesarean is the best place to do it is at home away from all of the cascades of intervention and where yeah. you're in charge you know oh. so that you're you're more in charge in your home space 
um, join my group, Feedback Support Group UK is also really good, the Homebird Support Group UK, um, we'll put the links up. Um, yeah, get educated, education is key to a positive birth. Yeah, and, and, like the right, really, and the right support around you. Love that you've both both felt your babies coming down. You know, to have both of you on the podcast and you both put your fingers into your own vagina and you both found your babies and you both followed your babies with pathways yourself. That's my husband to do it as well. Yeah, <laughs> I got yeah. my husband to check as well. I was like, look, feel it. <laughs> That's I think for him that was that was empowering as he well. Said, he said it was he said I'm so pleased you let me do that and you let me look and you let me do all of that he said because it was wicked to be involved in it oh that's so lovely because often the partners are do feel a bit left out of these things don't they so it's really nice that it was it was good for him as well and I'm thrilled that you came on I've been saying to Becky for a while and we've been saying to each other we like to have more birthing women and people on um because we have a lot of birth workers but it's really nice to actually speak to you people who are giving birth yeah. yeah it's lovely it's a different slant and it's one I'd really like to do more of so if you want to come and talk to us you know where <laughs> absolutely. we are <laughs> let us know we really want to you know be shouting about these um positive birth stories because you know we often do like you said Sam we, we do rant a lot and we talk about the things that are wrong with maternity services and that aren't you know aren't great but we'd really like to hear the positive stories as well and I know from from messages that we get that um, the, the birth stories that are featured on the podcast go down really well. Um, it's so nice to hear from actual people having these actual experiences oh. to, be able to share that. And oh, is that and little Billy saying hello? Oh. He's like, give me my money so back. Quiet this whole time, oh. they've been so good. Yeah, um, and it, that's one thing that I hadn't sort of realised. It's not just the birth; it's the the early parenting days are completely affected by the birth. So I've got a really happy baby. I've never been able to not soothe him when he was crying, which happened on quite a few occasions with my first child. And it was really stressful. But this one, as soon as he cries, I just feed him and he's and he's grand. And that's because everything was easy after the birth. I think. It sets you up, yes. doesn't it, for the rest, yeah. the rest of the parenting journey. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's the rest of your life. For yeah. the rest of your life, you're going to be there going, you'll be 80 and you'll be saying to your grandchildren, there's this really, I was a, I was a thing with Holly McNeish, the poetress, and um, she was telling this story about her grandmother and she said it was like Christmas. I was very drunk, so I might be retelling this badly, but it was Christmas and her grandmother was kind of sat there with like this like happy, smug look on her face. And, and, and she says, I said to her, what were you thinking? And she said, I'm thinking you all came out of my vagina. <laughs> <laughs> she was expecting her to say this really sweet. Oh, look at all of my beautiful family stuff. And it was just, <laughs> it all came out of my vagina. And I do... I speak to women, I, I often have a stall, a do the UK stall opposite the WI stall at International Women's Day. And women come and tell me their birth stories, like sometimes 60 years later. And they say, oh, I've never told, and they, that birth stays with you, honestly, for the rest of your life. Yeah, and it'll, yeah. it'll follow you into decisions and empowerment way beyond parenting and way beyond birth. It'll just be with yeah. you now forever. For so you, you did these, this incredible thing. You both, you both are absolutely amazing for having these wonderful births, for sticking to what you wanted to do and standing up for yourself and, and, you know, absolutely rocking it. So, you know, and thank you so much, both of you, for coming on and, you know, taking an hour out of your day um, to, to come and tell your stories. Really, really appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you for letting us tell them. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank no you. So we're going to say goodbye now from the podcast and see everybody on the next one. Goodbye.
Thank you for listening to the Birth Activists podcast. Until next time.